It's the Deadline Junkies podcast with your hosts, Jordan Emiola, Kirsten Porter, and Rand Shammy. Our guest today is Hugh Fink, known as a writer on Saturday Night Live, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, Last Comic Standing, The Show Biz Showed with David Spade, The Drew Carey Show, and a whole lot more. What's up, everybody? Thank you for the credits. <laughs> yeah, thanks for writing all that stuff so I had to say it all. Yeah. <laughs> it was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot more. Um, but yeah, first question. <laughs> Can you talk about uh, your stand-up and your journey to Saturday Night Live? I started my stand-up uh, in Indiana where I was growing up, watching comedians on TV and deciding that's what I wanted to do. Um, in college at NYU, there was a competition for college comedians. And there were co-winners co of the contest. It was me and a guy named Robert Smigel, who went on to be Triumph the Insult Dog comic. So he and I won. And um, that kind of gave me a big boost of confidence as a college student to do stand-up. So I dabbled in it in New York City. And then I decided to move to LA to pursue stand-up comedy. Um, and then I had a job in LA for a few years working for these CPA firm, so accountants that handled all celebrities. And they're still around this firm, by the way. And so I was like my first time ever face to face with celebrities and people who are making a lot of money. But after I did the job for two years, two and a half years, I was able to quit and literally support myself doing stand-up comedy. And I never looked back. And so awesome. I did stand-up for 11 years in based out of Los Angeles, but traveling the country, doing colleges, worked my way up to being a headliner, started doing some TV as a comedian. And then during that time, I formed a friendship with David Spade. We kind of came up the same time in stand-up and we had a similar sensibility. So when he got on SNL, he asked me to on the sly write stuff for him, but he couldn't really tell them that I was writing because that would make him look bad. Although he's a great writer, but he loved the stuff I was writing. It was getting on the air on Weekend Update, particularly his famous Hollywood Minute where he'd take down celebrities. And um, he came through for me in a big way by talking to Lorne Michaels, getting me a meeting and getting me the job on Saturday Night Live. So that tells you sort of my journey from stand-up to SNL. Nice. Awesome. So make sure you make friends with funny people. <laughs> uh, what was one of your favorite sketches? So, you know, Larry King died last week. My, maybe my favorite sketch that I wrote on SNL that was a recurring thing was Larry, it was Norm MacDonald, oh playing Larry King's News and Views. And it, to me, it's the meanest take of Larry King that anyone's ever done. Because I really portrayed him as this senile, ass-kissing weasel who really had nothing important or original to say. And it was just the simplicity of, it wasn't him doing interviews. It was him sitting at a typewriter, straight to camera, pontificating about everything. So, you know, everything from saying, of all the great black golfers, Tiger has to be one of the eight or nine greatest. 
just stuff that was like redundant. And some of them were sort of uh, borderline made you cringe. Like he goes, um, uh, is it just me or is Nelson Mandela overrated? So people go like, whoa. Uh, but people loved it. And that might be my favorite thing. Nice. Did you have a did you have a favorite sketch that didn't get produced? So yes, the first show after 9-11 was a huge deal. The whole country's watching. Yeah. And uh, I wrote a sketch for Will Ferrell where you guys know the singer Cat Stevens. You heard of him from the 70s? Yeah. So he became Yusuf Islam. He converted to Islam and changed his name and became very religious. But he'd been accused around the time of 9-11 of being an ex sort of anti-American and anti-Semitic. So I wrote a bit for Will Ferrell, which was Yusuf Islam's greatest hits of all time. So it was Will dressed as Cat Stevens singing songs like Peace Train and Morning is Broken, but all the lyrics pertain to him being anti-American and anti-Semitic. So it made it to dress rehearsal, but I had heard that NBC hated the sketch. They thought it was incendiary and would cause problems if it aired and it made it to dress rehearsal and then it got cut. How do you deal with that when one of your sketches you love gets cut? Well, if you're, if you're a writer at Saturday Night Live who wants to survive, you have to deal with being, things being cut all the time because it's part of the life of a writer there. And sometimes it, you may not think it's fair and maybe it isn't fair, but it's definitely part of the existence of that show. You just have to sort of get pissed off and vent, but then move on and write more stuff. But everyone, yeah. the longer you're there, the longer you deal with that rejection. But it makes you resilient and you don't give up and you keep writing funny stuff. How many sketches are due a week? Or is it like a certain number? Well, the more senior you are, the more sketches you're allowed to submit. Okay. So when you're a new writer there, you're only allowed to write one sketch. But the most I ever probably ever submitted was four. But I tended to write two to three per, per table read. Uh, so Hugh, you've worked on a lot of shows. Which would you say is your favorite and what made it your favorite? The showbiz show with Spade was among my favorites because I created it. I pitched the pilot, pilot got made, went straight to series, was on for three years. And so it's mine, you know, like I hired all the writers and I hired the director and the set design. So I can really take pride and ownership of an entire CV, TV series coming from my vision. In terms of stuff that I worked on that I didn't create besides Saturday Night Live, which obviously was a life-changing career experience that I'll always value. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I co-wrote the NBC Muppets movie that we shot in New York. And we had all these amazing cameos ranging from Uma Thurman, Nathan Lane, Jane Krakowski, Whoopi Goldberg, and I'm not a movie writer, but it was it was a movie, you know, it was a hour long movie shot in Brooklyn and New York City. So that was definitely a great experience. Nice. How did you get involved with that project? Strangely enough, the Muppets were bought by Disney. Remember, in like this is like 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and Disney wanted to make the Muppets more relevant. 
So one of the reasons, one of the things they decided was instead of getting kid writers and puppet writers, they'd get sort of an edgy late night writer. So I was approached and I'll be honest, I wasn't really a Muppets fan nor didn't know that much about them, but I'm a quick learner. And I brought in two younger writers who knew the Muppets really well. So they educated me on the characters and stuff. So that's how I was able to do it. So who's your favorite Muppet now? <laughs> ah, great question. Um, I guess I would say, do you know this Muppet named Pepe? Who's like a newer Muppet. That was my favorite when we wrote the screenplay because he's like a mean, he's a mean Muppet. But I guess Statler and Waldorf, the two old yeah. guys who sit in the balcony and make fun of people. That's probably yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't like Miss Piggy. Find that character very grating and annoying. So I don't, that's my least favorite Muppet. Yeah. I can agree with that. Yeah. He's kind of like the antagonist of the Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Just, yeah. I would yeah, say she so. really is. Yeah. Um, so you haven't talked much about Last Comic Standing, and I am really kind of curious because from what I know, it's a contest and it's basically comedians coming on competing, but you're listed as a writer. So I'm curious what you did on that show. Great question. I was a writer producer. So there were, comp there were things in the competition that had to be written. So the, my favorite thing I did on that show was there was an episode where they brought in Gilbert Gottfried, the comedian, you know, the famous guy. Yeah. And the, the remaining contestants on Last Comic Standing were asked to roast Gilbert, just like a Comedy Central roast. So they all had to write, you know, their own jokes roasting Gilbert. I, on the other hand, was asked to write all of Gilbert's comebacks about <laughs> the contestants. So it was a blast because I wrote the meanest uh, takedowns of all these, you know, <laughs> wannabe comics who aren't even famous. And I, I was cruel. And, and I expected that um, Gilbert would read my jokes and go, this one I'm not going to do. He, he said, no, I'll do all of them. Because he didn't care. <laughs> they were going to cut him, right? It was for NBC. So if I wrote him like 50 jokes, honestly, only like 15 of them appeared on the TV show when it aired. But he did not give a shit. And I remember I had a really mean reference to Amy Schumer because uh, Trainwreck was about to come out. And um, I did a joke about her. He didn't care. Can you talk about, uh, you've written for the WGA Awards for several, for several years. Can you talk about that? Yes, yeah, sadly. Funny you ask because this is the first year in seven years that I'm not executive producing. And the reason is they're going to do it as an online award show. And, you know, that's a much smaller event. So they've already said, hopefully, they want to bring me back next year to do the live show, which is in front of a thousand people. And I love doing the Writers Guild Awards. When I took over, the show honestly was pretty boring and not funny and just didn't have any hip factor. But when I interviewed with them, I said, look, it's kind of embarrassing if the Writers Guild Awards isn't the best written show. It's the fucking writers, Yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that got me hired. So I like 
the writing's been exceptional. It's, it's usually about four people with me. They're all comedy writers, you know, great joke writers, great sketch writers. And I've turned the show into sort of a, I would say the comedy is what people remember most about it. Although, you know, we have to have respect and reverence to the nominees. And there's these lifetime achievement awards that have gone to everybody from Aaron Sorokin to Shonda Rhimes. So, you know, there's those big people, but during the show, we still do some hilarious bits that, that, write, that Hollywood writers particularly love. <laughs> how, many, how many weeks do you guys get like before? Like, Not that many, Jordan, like four, like a month. So the show's super topical. I'll tell you about one of the greatest things when Patton Oswalt hosted uh, during the year and Supreme Court Judge Anthony Scalia died that morning. Remember, he, he died in his sleep. And so I immediately said, okay, we got to do jokes about this because writers hate him. And um, the Guild, by the way, was fine. They're like, yes, do jokes about Scalia. So we did, and they went over huge. I mean, with that audience, it's kind of a dream crowd, right? Yeah. Funny, smart comedy writers. That's an audience you want. Yeah, it's awesome. I remember I've, I've listened to them on podcast. I can't remember what podcast it was, but I know there's a WJ podcast where I've heard the shows like live. Oh, you have? Uh, yeah. Did I you think- like it? Oh yeah, yeah. I was laughing a lot. Like I was, I but the first time I heard it, I was like, "Wow, this is really funny for an award show." Oh yeah, you know, so. Chelsea Peretti hosted. You know, like two years ago, she was fantastic, and she did jokes really about the uh, white middle-aged guys controlling writers' rooms. So it was a little polarizing, but it was hilarious. Nice. And of course, we always crap on um, directors and. We oh we're really mean jokes about agents, all the things that you know writers out here have to live with, right? Yeah, awesome. Can you talk about uh, one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, uh, the Drew Carey Show? Could you talk about that? Yes, well that's great. That it was one of your favorite shows. I joined it its last season, so it was already a successful working show, which is a cool way to get to experience a show where it's yeah. sort of. They've worked out all the kinks and the characters are well-defined. And I will tell you, it was an A-list of comedy writers when I joined it. Um, Dan O'Keefe, who's gone on to do Silicon Valley and Veep. He was a senior writer there. Dave Kaplan was the showrunner. He now runs The Connors, which is the spinoff of Roseanne, Roseanne, right? Um, Who else was there? Um, Bruce... Bruce, um, Rasmussen, who has sort of gone back and forth between drama and comedy, but major network shows. So really talented group of writers. And for me, Jordan, it was more, I'd say kind of a learning experience. What did I learn? I hate sitcoms. That's what I learned. And I don't mean I hated the Drew Carey show. I just don't like the creative process of breaking stories for 20 episodes the characters can't really change, right? Um, your own ideas get molded into everyone else's. It's not, sitcoms do not encourage individualistic comedy writing. It's about the group. And I have a hard time with that because I'm a stand-up and I came from SNL where I got to write my own stuff. I was used to having it done my way. And that's not... The only exception would be if you created your own sitcom, then at least you could kind of call the shots, 
but you're still gonna have to take network notes and all that ridiculousness. I don't know how you guys feel about writing for sitcoms, but I really <laughs> did learn that it was not for me. Did that, did Craig Ferguson like lead the Drew Carey connection? Um, no, pure, pure coincidence oh, wow. had nothing to do with it. In fact, when Craig hired me, he didn't even know I worked on the final season of Drew because <laughs> Craig was a guest star. He didn't do every episode oh, yeah. of Drew okay. Carey by then. Yeah. He only came in for like three or four shows, but um, the Craig Ferguson show, you know, he took over for Craig Kilborn, who you might remember, but the problem was Ferguson is not really a stand-up. He didn't know comedy writing. So when he came aboard, he inherited the entire Craig Kilborn staff. But that staff wasn't really the right people to be writing for Craig Ferguson. So they brought me in and I was given the unenviable job of having to decide which writers to fire and which to keep. And I didn't know these writers. So I had to sort of figure out quickly which ones I felt were capable of writing for Craig and which ones weren't. You have worked with a ton of comedians. It's so impressive. Uh, do you have a favorite comedian? Maybe not a favorite, but I can tell you sort of among my favorites. So yeah. David Spade for sure, Chris Rock, Brian Regan, who I got to work with on his Netflix series a couple years ago. He's brilliant. Um, more contemporary, you know, I've never worked with John Mulaney, but I think he's great. Uh -huh. We know each other, but I've never written for him. Um, trying to think, you know, who else? Wanda Sykes, mm -hmm. great, I've worked with. Um, that's sort of Bill Burr. Mm -hmm. he did the writer's guild awesome. i actually get him he'd never done an award show before i was oh, the first oh. guy to get him to do an award show <laughs> so he was really really funny he just talked about how out of place he felt in a tuxedo you know kissing writers asses <laughs> he, he was he was great so yeah what do you feel makes a great comedian um bothers me about current stand-up and the art form of stand-up is that People forget, besides being a great writer, you have to be a great performer. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I'm not talking about five minutes on TV. That's actually easy to do a great set, but to be a performer live, right? At a club or a, a theater or a, or a college, you have to captivate an audience for 30 minutes to an hour. And in order to do that, You've got to be a great performer. And I feel like a lot of stand-ups these days are really lacking in their performing ability. Meaning they just don't know how to connect to a live audience. They just, they have their material and they're sort of like, they're gonna do it. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, too bad. But a great comedian is beyond that. A great comedian knows how to make the audience like them by having the skill to you know, personalize it and be in the moment. And sadly, I think there's not as many current comedians who do that well. Mm -hmm. What about off the stage? Do you have any comedians that you just love hanging out with and are think are great people? Yes. 
there are many. I'll throw one name to you who I, I talk about every day. Alan Havy, who you guys might know from Mad Men. Mm -hmm. he, okay. he starred as Lou, Don Draper's boss, the final seasons of Mad Men. He's a great comedian, but he's also a great actor. So I love hanging with him. And um, generally, though, comedians are not fun to hang with because they're either too needy of, you know, and they, or they can't be in the moment. They can't sort of turn it off, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, that's not true with, I think, the great comics are able to, but it's the ones who maybe earn the notch below that. Sometimes it's a struggle to enjoy hanging out with them. Yeah. Do you think that's also part of um, then being able to form great relationships, like actor writer relationships? It can be, you're right. It can be that. I think that um, for any, you know, actors, writers, comedians, there's an insecurity that comes along with people who do it. Right. So their insecurity can sometimes just get in the way of them being able to be friends in the normal way that people approach friendships. So being able to form those friendships, do you think those are beneficial in performances in, in the profession? Absolutely. Because if you can form a friendship with someone who generally is, is talented and likes what you do, then of course they're likely to want to help you. Not all the time. Sometimes they might be competitive and deliberately not help you. But if it's a good friendship, then absolutely. And then you get on SNL because you're writing for David Spade. <laughs> and by the way, I will be the tell you, I would never got on SNL without David Spade. It would not have happened. So I give him tremendous credit for that. And again, I did talent wise that I deserve to be on the show. Yes. But talent doesn't always win out. And that shows highly political. And it, no, it was a huge thing that I had formed a friendship with David. Do you have more friendships that you, um, you know, that you, you're grateful for besides uh, David Spade? Yeah, so someone who helped me early in my career was Bob Saget, mm. who you know from Full House yep. and various movies. He, you know, he was a great comedian um, back in the day, but then he got pulled out of stand-up and became a major TV personality and sitcom actor. But back in the day, he was a great stand-up. And I learned from Bob that um, everyone who works with Bob thinks that he's pretty easygoing and nice to work with. And I've always stuck with me is I, I, I wanted to emulate him in the sense of being a nice, approachable person. So he certainly had an influence and we're friends to this day, you know? He's kind of from a different generation of comics than me, but we've maintained a friendship. And then um, another person I collaborate with all the time now, who I would say, you know him more as an actor, but he's doing stand-up is David Koechner from um, Anchorman and The he, the Office. He played Todd Packer yeah, on The yeah. Office. Hackman, yeah. Hackman. So <laughs> we started at Saturday Night Live together. So we're, we're we, maintained a friendship since and now we're doing stuff and uh he does stand up too so we i really love relating to him because we've had this long-standing professional relationship 
Do you still do stand up? Yes, but it's been, you know, since early March, the pandemic, I've not set foot yeah. on stage. And I still love doing stand up. And the performing part comes easy to me. The frustrating part is writing because I'm so pulled in other career directions to have time to sit down and write good material for myself. Um, I won't blame anything other than say that it's just been, I've not done it. So, you know, the joy of stand-up for me at this point is to go on stage with new material, but I just don't have new material right now to do. Do you have like, um, like a writing method? Do you write in the mornings or afternoons or is it just kind of anywhere and everywhere? Kind of anywhere, yeah. I, I never was, I was disciplined in some ways, but not in that way. It was more just inspiration. Have you done um, any of the virtual stand-up? I've not. <laughs> And I'll be honest with you, that doesn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. I've not, it's no. Not the I've, same, yeah. yeah, I should mention with David, I've been producing these live comedy shows for corporations and businesses that he stars in. <laughs> but it's, it's not stand up, it's more sketch, where like we'll give someone at the corporation the ability to interview Todd Packer from the office. <laughs> so I write all the Todd Packer material. It's pretty scripted, but the person asking the questions doesn't know what he's going to say. Yeah. So they're yeah. reading the questions, and then David is Todd is responding. But that's really fun to do. It sounds like it. <laughs> but again, like we have a rule, whether it's 300 people or 50 people, we don't want to hear laughter on those calls. It's kind of annoying. So I see people, like I see you guys on the screen right now, I might see 100 people and I see them laughing, but I don't need to hear it. And David doesn't either. And that's with stand-up. It's so weird, right? To be, you're this art form that's completely reliant on a live audience response. And that's why the idea of doing it as we are right now, doing stand-up just seems kind of weird. I did go uh, to see a concert at one of those drive-in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And to hear a band play live was fine because... You know, they don't need to hear laughter. Yeah. But I've heard about those shows where comedians are performing at drive-in movie theaters. And at least it's live, but the audience is in the car, right? So they're not really hearing the response in real time. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. Do you, uh, do you have a favorite joke? Oh, man. Do you mean that I wrote or just someone else's joke? Well, any, we'll start with any, okay. and then I'll, I'll ask you yours. Sure. Also, <laughs> so Drake Sather, a, com a brilliant comedian writer who unfortunately is no longer with us, but if you guys look him up, you'll see he did David Letterman and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a joke I, I've always loved, which is he goes, uh, my girlfriend accuses me of being uh, not respecting her boundaries and stalking her and having no respect for her right to privacy. At least that's what she wrote in her diary. <laughs> so that comes to mind as one of my favorites. Um, I also love Paula Poundstone's joke about, she said, Sirhan Sirhan, who was convicted of assassinating Bobby Kennedy. He told the parole board that he should be released from prison because if Bobby Kennedy were alive today, 
he'd say that I should get out of jail. And she goes, how do you like that? The one guy who wants Sirhan Sirhan out of jail and he shot him. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now do you have one of your own? Well, you know, to not be um, egotistical, I'll just throw you one of my quick, like a, a joke that's super quick to do. That I like, I did this on David Letterman, which was um, there was a case uh, you might remember of a dog mauling incident where this um, wh- this this guy was accused of basically his dog killed someone in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but the legal charge they tried him with was um, aggravated mayhem. Mm-hmm. That was the legal term. I said, but. His lawyer says it's looking good to have it reduced to involuntary shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I have noticed that you you do seem to like some um, mean humor. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to put that nicely. Yeah, um, no, you're right. I'm, <laughs> I'm not good at mean humor, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> well, you're, you're really nice, so... But yeah. hey, I'm nice and I'm good at mean humor, so you never know. Yeah. Yeah. What would you? What's a tip for doing mean humor? How do you make it work? Okay, so number one, you have to be clever, right? Like, <laughs> mean is not funny if it's not clever. I think it ultimately has to be really clever. So that's number one. Number two is that there's different ways. If you want to say someone's a fucking douchebag instead of saying they're a fucking douchebag, if there's ways to say, to convey that sentiment in a more artistic way, then that's funnier, right? Oh, oh, so I know you're a lot nicer than me, but so I wrote a joke that got quoted in the media a few years ago about Ann Coulter, who you guys know who that is. Mm-hmm. So this is for the Rob Lowe Comedy Central roast where she was seated in the audience. And I had Rob say, um, uh, Ann Coulter's here tonight. And if you're wondering why, it's so that all the right to lifers know what an abortion looks like up close. (laughs) Now that's vicious. (laughs) And it's also horrible visual, but you can see like, I think it's clever, but it's definitely Oh yeah. The way you word it too is like so good. Like, is there uh, is there a certain rhythm you're always looking for, or do you? You know what it is, Jordan. It's like, as a music, you know, I'm a violinist, classically trained. Is I know it when I see it. Like, I have that stand-up comic rhythm mm-hmm. that I know how something sounds. But obviously, with joke writing, mean jokes like that, the shorter the better. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always best to have as few words as possible. Um, I'll give you an example, though, since you're all good writers, of how sometimes you need to have enough words to make the joke great. So I was, uh, this is an incredible story for you. After 9-11, Daryl Hammond, you know, from Saturday Night Live, he did a great Bill Clinton impression. And the Republican Congress, I kid you not, invited Daryl to perform in front of them at a Republican retreat that Vice President Dick Cheney attended as well. And Daryl picked me as his writer 
to go with him. So we flew to the, this, it was in West Virginia, maybe at this retreat where all the Republican Congress was. And like there's secret service everywhere, right? It's, but my opening joke that I wrote, this is why I'm telling you the story. It was all about the wording. So picture you got all the Republicans there and D Daryl Hammond comes out in his Bill Clinton makeup, they know it's, and he goes, um, keep in mind, this is a few weeks after 9-11. And he goes, once every generation comes a time when we as Americans have to band together as one to fight a common enemy who we all hate and despise and know is threatening the very existence of our lives but enough about Hillary. <laughs> and see, that joke, the reason I bring it up is noticed how the reason it works is because I had to be kind of flowery and yeah. really suck you in to it sounds like he's going to say Osama bin Laden or the Al-Qaeda yeah. or his whatever. But the reason that jokes worked is because it's loaded with all this flowery stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they went ballistic. I mean that joke immediately won them over and he could kind of do no wrong after. Yeah. I think, I think my favorite, uh, my favorite sketch I think of yours uh, that I've seen is uh, Stevie Nicks Fajita Roundup. I love that sketch so much. I've laughed, I've, I've watched it repeatedly because I've laughed at it so much. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Well, Jordan, tell these guys, it's really not that mean. It's got a couple of jokes. Yeah. He's Stevie made Nicks everybody Roundup. watch it. Oh, <laughs> did, did you like it? Oh yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. And by the way, that was Mac songs. You know, that was written at two in the morning. Nice. Two in the morning, as my office at Thirty Rock. I feel like some uh, of the best stuff is written when it, you're uh, when you're really tired and it just can. done. Yeah, exactly. It didn't. It didn't take terribly long. Um, but it, I, I remember very well. Like it was fun to write. Sometimes you're writing something going, I don't even know. I think this is funny. I'm not sure. But other times you're pretty, sh you're sure. And that one I knew was funny to me. It didn't, I didn't have any doubt about it. Yeah, it's a great sketch. Thank you. Uh, I feel unincluded because Jordan did not share this. Oh no. He did before, before we jumped on, or when we jumped on, before you jumped on, he was, he again shared with the group. <laughs> I think, I think I've heard him share it at least four, maybe five times. <laughs> well, I, have question, I have a question for you, Hugh. I'm curious. So you're so deep in the comedy world, but what do you want? What do you do for entertainment? Great. You know, I love watching serious drama. That's what I suspected. Yes, you're right. And, <laughs> you know, I veer toward stuff that seems reality-based in crime and suffering. So, for example, whether it's Handmaid's Tale or um, Ozark or, most recently, um, Mindhunter about serial killers, all that stuff really appeals to me. I there's a series about the CIA and the FBI not working together to stop bin Laden before 9-11. It's, it's a Washington Post journalist called The Looming Tower. And that, it's amazing. It's Jeff Daniels 
and some other great actors. So I'm watching that now. But yeah, I tend not to watch comedy. Yeah, I think a lot of comedians or a lot of writers watch things in other areas and other genres. Although I, you have to explain to me, like you couldn't pay me to watch Bridgerton. <laughs> not like that genre is so something I have zero interest in, but it's yep. the most watched show in the history of Netflix. Yeah. Well, that's more, more fantasy like than what you're describing. I understand. Yeah. But you know, I didn't even watch, I didn't watch um, uh, the one about the queen. Uh, oh, Queen's Gambit. The I Crown. The Crown. I didn't watch The Crown. Oh, right. And I didn't watch um, Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. So I think that just that genre does not appeal to me. Mm -hmm. But man, they are popular. And Queen's, Queen's Gambit was easier to watch because it's only six episodes. And it was sort of, I liked that it. it's a period piece from the like 60s. Mm -hmm. That appealed to me. Yeah. Also, I know you teach a few classes. Do you want to take a moment to promote those? Or yeah. You know, sadly, I my, tomorrow night ends the five-week, the run of my five-week classes. But what I have to promote is, and this I never forget Jordan suggested this, is I'm going to start doing some, like, one-off workshops. Nice. Maybe for just, like, a yeah. two-hour, three-hour thing. Make it more affordable, right? And I'll take on more students so it won't have sort of the one-on-one the one -on -one ability that I did with Jordan's class, but it'll still be me sharing my expertise. And Jordan suggested topics like maybe how to write late night show monologue yeah. jokes, yeah. right? Yeah. And you guys feel like there's a lot of people who would be into that? Oh yeah. I feel like oh, for yeah. me, like I've never, I've never done monologue. I've done everything else but monologues. So it's like I'd be interested in, cause I just, I'm not even sure how to even like start that. That's great. Well, I may be picking your brain a little more for, for yeah. what you guys think, but that's my next plan is in the next month or two to figure out some of those sort of one-off workshops to offer. Yeah. What is your workshop um, or class offer right now? Oh, so writing, sketch writing for television. Ah. So I just offered two classes, an intro class, in an advanced class, and they're five week workshops, two hours a session, and I limit, there's 10 people to the class. So everyone oh, really sense. loves getting very individualized feedback. Yeah. And um, for the advanced class, you're asked to write one sketch every week about a particular, in a template. So I read them ahead of time, so I have notes for you. And then I share them with the class, that we, we do a table read, so everyone else, you know, um, can contribute jokes and ideas, but it's still, I'm basically running it. And that how, people find it really helpful. How close is that to what you would do on a show, um, whether with late night show or Saturday Night Live, how similar is that structure? It emulates it in a, in a good way. Yeah, it's this, the, the timing obviously is different because at SNL, you know, if the week starts Monday, you have to have your final polished script really turned in by Wednesday morning, and then you can tweak it between Wednesday and Saturday. Whereas with my advanced class, you have an entire week to write one sketch. So it's different in that regard. And the other difference is obviously 
at SNL, when your sketch is read aloud, it's read by the cast, which is incredible. For my class, I'll either read the entire sketch out loud myself, or I'll offer, if you, the writer, want to read one of the parts, like you, you did the voice, then I'm happy to do that. But we do have a table read night. I go full screen with the script on screen, so everyone's reading along. So it's, it's really cool. And I think, I'd like to think that the people in the advanced class, which is what you all would be, have found it incredibly helpful in terms of helping them with their packet if they're submitting to a show or just like Jordan, I know you produce stuff, just yeah. sort of getting some fine tuning before you go shoot something. Yeah, nice. And the, to promote it, see the website is huefink.com, right? That's right, very easy, yeah. So look for updates on it because I will definitely be putting on like what these new workshops are going to be and when, but absolutely. And yes, yeah, spread the word. Yeah. H U G H F I N K.com. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we have one more question. Could you give any advice for like newbie sketch writers or people just trying to get into sketch writing? Number one, make sure you have a good premise. You can't waste your time. If you have like, oh, my sketch is going to be about two things. Stop. Don't do it. It should be one idea, one through line that you introduce as quickly as possible in your sketch. And then you have to, before you start putting pen to paper, know in your head the funny beats once you introduce your premise that you're going to build on to make your sketch. And I always say, there should be at least three funny beats. Okay. Three is enough to make a sketch, right? Um, it could be four, five, six, but you got to have three. And then don't worry so much about the ending because no one cares. Like <laughs> you got to get them at the top. You got to build the laughter and then just get the hell out. Yeah. It's not like, a, yeah. it's not, this is not M. Night Shyamalan where you're watching a sketch going, oh my God, what's going to be the surprise ending? No one cares. <laughs> Uh, okay, I have one question. Yeah. What about for people like us who have been writing for a while, have been doing sketch classes, have been writing pilots, all of that? What would you, what's one piece of advice you give us? We're trying to break into the industry. What is one piece of advice you give to us? Try to pick the sketches that you spend time writing and producing where you go. I don't think there's anyone else who would come up with this idea or if. If they had this premise, they wouldn't do the premise in the way that I'm doing it. Meaning that it makes your voice stand out more, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's the biggest advice I could give you. Because for example, you know how this, um, this thing in the news about Marjorie Taylor Greene, the, the QAnon congresswoman saying the thing about Jewish lasers, some crazy thing she said. Yeah. Well, I've seen so many references from comedy people to making jokes about what she said. But I feel like that would be a bad area to try to write a sketch because everyone thinks they have a funny idea about it. So unless your take is so brilliantly different, chances are it's really not gonna stand out. And that's what I mean by avoiding premises that other people are gonna think of. Yeah. I like that advice a lot. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah. That's, Thanks. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, and I think the best sketches that I've written 
were definitely premises where people are like, wow, Hugh, I don't know how you thought of that. I wouldn't think of that. That's kind of the best. Yeah. I love that too, because I feel like with social media and everything, everybody's trying to do the hashtag that's popular. So we're all doing the same idea. So I love, I love this idea of doing something original and different. Oh, thank you. It's like if I were reading, if I were starting up a sketch show now, hopefully I'll get to, and I was reading your, your submissions, I'd be looking for writers, not just to have the craft down, but people who I feel like have an original voice. Mm. You know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely have your own sense of humor. All yeah. right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hugh. Yeah. Uh, that's good. That's all last, our one final thing, because I know some of you do stand up, whatever is that I've been asked lately to do a lot of um private coaching for either writing or stand-up. So like if you're submitting a, a packet to a TV show but you want some help to make sure your packet is as strong as possible and you're not making mistakes, I do that. Like I'll just work with you for X amount of time, getting your packet in great shape. And stand-ups approach me all the time too about if they're just working on a set and they want help structuring it, editing it, you know, that's so in, ingrained in me, I like to do that and I can do it. So that's another service I offer. That's youfeet.com. Are you also on social media at all? I, not actively. I mean, <laughs> I just, but I just don't make it a priority. Yeah. So we can follow you, just you won't be there. Yeah, I won't be there. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I can't compete with all of you on social media. It's, I have my energy spent better doing other stuff. Yeah. But it's obviously a very powerful tool and I support it. Yeah. <laughs> well cool thank you so much Hugh again the website is hughfink.com um, yeah thank you so much for all the advice yeah. and for really fun I'd love to come back and uh, talk to you guys again yeah, yeah thank cool. you Yeah. love awesome. hearing more advice <laughs> thank you <laughs> subscribe for more episodes and check out Sketches Sketches written and performed by Deadline Junkies watch it at skedjes.com thanks for listening to the Deadline Junkies podcast